quite honestly, friends, it, it was humbling to me to um, consider this morning all that, that I could see who were here and how God is enabling us uh, to move forward and, I, and that God had appointed you to be here. And I say that based upon what we read in Ecclesiastes 3, a time for every purpose under heaven, that there is an appointed purpose for each of us who are here today. And I pray that God will use that. Now, that's on a small scale. I just got to say that yesterday was kind of an unusual day for me. I have never sat in my recliner and watched TV for nine hours. Nine hours. And the only thing I did between there was to get up and go to the bathroom and then come back. Nine hours. Now that's because I was foolish in my understanding of what was going on. You see, because they've been advertising during the course of the last couple of weeks, two events, which I thought were kind of the same event, but they just gave each one its own little emphasis. One of them was uh, a prayer walk at, on the mall in Washington, D.C., led by Franklin Graham. And that was supposed to start at noon D.C. time, so that I know that's going to be 11 o'clock our time. And then the other one was something called The Return, led by Rabbi uh, Jonathan Kahn, and many of you know him as the author of The Harbinger. And this was going to be an event that called America to, uh, to repentance. So there's a little bit different emphasis. So I figured, oh, I see what they got going down here. All right, we'll do a couple hours with Jonathan Kahn, and then Franklin Graham's going to come on, and we're going to see the prayer walk thing. And, you know, so I'll spend my morning and just kind of see, because I felt like there are some things I maybe need to pay attention to and learn from this. So I did. So the Jonathan Kahn thing got started, the return uh, that got started at, um, let's see, it would have been nine, eight, eight o'clock our time. And it didn't stop. It went to four o'clock our time. I was a little surprised. Next time any of you get to complaining to me about being out of here a little later than 11.45 is what we agreed to, okay, I'm just going to always say, remember, I could be Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. And so you can, if people can be out there for eight hours, can we not sit here in comfort for an hour and a quarter? Well, anyways, what was interesting to me, and by the way, you might get the impression that they were conflicting events, and they, I don't think they were. I think each God ordained, my point is, God ordained each event to happen on that day. And the reason I said they're not conflicting, they weren't working against one another, is because Elvita King, Martin Luther King's daughter, spoke at both of them. And um, Anne Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's daughter, spoke at both of them. And Michelle Bachman, who was our, senator, our representative, you will recall, and uh, she had run for president, okay? And you'll always remember, she was the one who had a titanium spine, okay? Uh, that's what she ran on. Her platform was, I have a titanium spine. But she also spoke at each of them. So these were not conflicting things. I believe God was bringing something there according to His eternal purposes. That that day... Washington, D.C. and our nation would be brought before the Lord in very serious concerning prayer. 
What I find intriguing, as you know, these things had to have been being organized. In fact, I think Jonathan Kahn said it was like five years ago they were laying the groundwork for this. And does, does Franklin Graham do that every year? I don't know. I, I don't normally watch those kinds of things. But I got the impression it was something they do every year. If not, you know that it's being planned for quite a while. And somehow, by God's purposes, the day they both had scheduled for was the day that as soon as it all finished up, we were going to hear about the next appointment of a Supreme Court justice. And I just put those all together and kind of went, huh, I don't know what to make of it. And you can, when we get into the scriptures, you'll see why, because I don't know what God does the end from the beginning. But I thought it was interesting that God saw to it that he prompted his people that, that his throne would be sought on such a day. Because you know after today, uh, it all starts tomorrow. And it all goes crazy tomorrow. And you know the, the, the absolute ringer that they're going to put people through. So this is, this is just interesting to me. That God's purposes are going to be worked out. Well, we have believed that we're here for God's purposes also. At the outset of this whole shutdown, we made the observation that the world is going to change. It's going to be different. And we, we are going to have to stay attuned to what's going on to try and understand how do we minister to the world as it is when we come out of this pandemic. Well, one of the things that had been in my mind for over a year that we can finally just get to, and I believe again, according to God's purposes, is this series entitled Sinking God, Healing, and Community. And I believe he perhaps has delayed it for us because it was to be a preparation on our part to know best how to minister to the world as it changes. And when this is all lifted and people have a freedom to come places again, that we will be prepared to minister to those who come into our fellowship and will be prepared to reach out to them. And what we have said is that we effectively, I don't, care, I don't care what your worldview is, it's just the condition of humanity, we effectively are all trying to fill in the same spaces. And it relates to God, healing, and community. And the reason we are all needing to do this is because we saw in Genesis chapter 3, Vertical relationship was, was destroyed. Internal relationships destroyed. Horizontal relationships destroyed. God, healing, and community. We lost something in all of that. And we're trying to figure out how to live life in light of that brokenness that is there. And so we've just been tackling it to say, hey, here's what everybody's looking for. And if God gives us the privilege of ministry after a pandemic, people who come in, they're looking for the same things, friends. They're looking for this to fill in the same spots. So here's where we've been so far, because this is going to be the last time on this particular segment of this, and I want to make sure we have it under our belts. Number one is truth. We began there. 
We said truth is that reality which when you bump your head on it, it doesn't budge, but you bleed. That's what truth is. It doesn't give way to whatever our personal perspectives may be. And we said we seek God. We seek God because truth resides in Him. We seek God because truth is revealed from Him. We seek God because truth gives us hope. We seek God because truth equips us for battle. And we seek God because we're weary of being lied to. We come here because we want to be in the Word together, whether in a Sunday school class where we're studying that which is true, or here in a worship center where we're hearing a proclamational uh, presentation of the Word. But this is where the truth is in the Word of God. All right, so that's what. Secondly, we've looked at last week, we looked at, we called it the compass, uh, more fully, the, a moral compass. See, we seek God because He validates orients and justifies our moral inclinations. Now that matters. See, we know, we know without a doubt that some things are right and some things are wrong. We may differ on how we define that. We may see things differently, but we don't question for a moment that right and wrong are real. You know, only God can make sense of that. That morality, right and wrong, good and evil, are real. Because you realize, if there's no God, if there's no God in the picture, if He does not exist, all you can do is create a world in which you believe this is right or wrong, and your opinion this is right or wrong. But that actual reality of right and wrong. It's not true. There's, there's no substance to it. And I, I noticed Miles had mentioned as far as going over the bulletin that there's a, a virtual Thrive event that's happening, right? We've all gotten more used to the term virtual now than when I first coined this term. So I want to throw it back out again because we're used to virtual learning. And, you know, I thought everybody understood what virtual reality was when I first threw it out, and, and it was pretty new still. But now we're used to it. And all we have, if there's no God in the picture, all we have is virtual morality because it has no meaning. It's this little world we create for ourselves and that we might live in, but there's no substance to it without God. And there's no way you can argue to it if we are here purely as a result of random processes and God has nothing to do with it. And we are left with that very sad situation. So truth, moral compass, and today, as we've mentioned, we're going to tackle the question of purpose. Purpose. That which makes sense of our lives. Gives them meaning. Gives them value. So that when we run up against the hard times and we begin to ask the hard questions, we have some answers that say, uh, yeah, we keep moving forward. We don't despair. We don't just uh, fall into hopelessness. Purpose, I believe, develops a little bit later 
than moral perceptions in our abstract thinking. You know, we've identified this before, right? Little kids, their abstract thinking kicks in. First on the question of morality, I believe, because, hey, little Johnny's sister gets the bigger piece of cake and he says, that's not fair. That is a moral statement. And little Johnny knows that somehow a wrong has, has happened. I think, at least in my own experience, maybe young people, young people these days are so much smarter than I ever was at their ages. They amaze me at, at how, much they, how much they know. See, it took, it took my generation, at least my generation in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. You guys maybe caught on to it faster. You know, I see a few of you guys here my age, you're probably, oh, you were really dumb. We had that before you. But my generation took us to high school before we began to wrestle with this question that I could remember. See, it was in high school when we finally knew everything. In high school, we finally had all the answers, right? We got there, we'd arrived after all, and when, man, we got to be seniors, it's like, what, what else do we need to know? We got it figured out, people. And those of you, you know, from the plastic over 30 crowd, you got nothing, all right? We don't need you older people. And we made this kind of statement. I heard it over and over again, said it myself, about our school studies. Why do we have to do this? We're never going to need this stuff. We knew. Never going to need this stuff, so why am I taking any time? See, the question is, what's the point? There's no purpose. No purpose in our doing this. Why am I wasting my time? So we have this inside of us. Now you ever wonder, why do we ask questions of purpose? Why do we even think about that? It's because we're different than God's other creatures. Because when, just before God, he explains to us that just after he'd done all this creating and he's building up to the, the ultimate of his creation, which is going to be man, after he's, he's created the entire animal kingdom, he then makes this statement. Let us make man in our image. We are different than the rest of the animal kingdom because we've been made in the image of God. Our previous ministry was in Racine, Wisconsin. The next town north of Kenosha, which you've heard of recently, it had a zoo. And in the zoo was a pretty good-sized aquarium-type glass enclosure and about a, I don't know, it was probably a seven, eight-foot-long snake of some sort. And I guess the zoo people got tired of answering the same question because there was a, a sign there that said, why doesn't it move? Clearly they'd been asked that before because we're all trying to tap on the thing, get it to move, and it just sits there. You know, it's, hey, it's a big long snake. We'd love to see it do something cool. All the time I was there, I never saw it do anything cool. Why doesn't it move? And their, effectively their answer was, doesn't have any need to. 
There's no need for it to move. It's fed. It's fine. Temperature's right in there. Everything is good for it. It just sits there. I mentioned I spent nine hours in a recliner yesterday, and you guys were like, say what? Nine hours in the recliner? You got, you got to be nuts. I felt a little nuts afterwards. <laughs> I, noticed, I noticed on the, on the eight-hour-long event that it uh, seemed like there was a lot of screaming, a lot of yelling on how they did things. And I'm like, well, that's fine. They're talking to a large crowd and all of that. But I realized, you know, if one at once turned everything off, it's like, uh, I need the TV off for the rest of the day. I need some quiet, all right? But you, you all raised your eyebrows at the question of just sitting in your recliner for nine hours. Who does that? Because as human beings, there's this thing called boredom that settles in. The thing that says, i got to get out and do something. This is crazy. Well, it's because we're made in God's image. And we're made for something more than just sitting there like a well-fed snake. And you see, friends, the need for purpose is as much a part of our being as is our moral compass and our sensitivity to truth. If we're being forced to do stuff that has no purpose, it comes across to us as sheer torture. And I think, forgive me, you'll get the idea, and forgive me that I didn't take the time to research this, but I'm pretty certain it was in the movie Cool Hand Luke, where, um, if you'll recall, Paul Newman, oh, Adam, you won't recall this. I mean, Adam, you're not going to recall it. Okay, Keely, you won't recall this either. Okay, if you want to go back and check it out, you can. Okay. Yeah, Tyler, I'm not sure you'll even recall it, to be honest with you, buddy. Anybody familiar with Cool Hand Luke? You know there was such a movie? All right. All right, so that means about four of you are going to get this illustration. But Paul Newman is Cool Hand Luke, and he gets, he, he's in prison, okay? He's in jail. And he's constantly at odds with the warden. And in one particular scene, the warden has him digging a deep hole just to, to punish him, right? And when he's done digging a hole, what does he do? He has to put all the dirt back in the hole. Now you know that that's, that was done, and we all feel it. It's done to humiliate him, to say your life has no purpose. What I just had you do was purposeless. And we find that's a torture. Marketers know this. Motivational speakers understand it. They'll ask this question, what is your why? What is your reason? What's your purpose for making a change in your life? Because we're only going to make a change that is as solid as our purpose for making that change. We'll only make the change that's as solid as our purpose for making a change. If we say we've got this purpose, but it's eh, really kind of, eh, guess what? We'll never stick with the change. It's got to see us through. We watch this, and you guys know the story of my son. Love him to death. But our youngest son, um, because we told him this, foolish on our part, that when you get done with high school, you just go on to college. So he went on to MSUM with his brother, and about three weeks in, five weeks in, we don't know when it was because he didn't tell us that he'd quit going to class. You what? 
at least withdraw and get some money back, okay? No, no, no. We just quit. So a year or so later, he goes to another college. Well, good. He'll be motivated now. You quit again? What's wrong with you? Until this pretty little girl from Two Harbors caught his attention. He realized he wanted to marry her. And he knew that if he was going to be a decent husband, he had to be able to make a living, a real living. And he went on, went back to school a third time, became a UND student, made it on the dean's list, pulled straight A's, even when working full-time because they had a baby at home, he still pulled it all off. 180 degrees different once he had a purpose that would see him through those points that are just sheer drudgery. That's our need, friends. That's resident inside of us. And that's part of why we seek God. We seek God because He created us for His purpose. See, we were created to reflect His image, as we've noted. His image in dominion. We were to have dominion over the whole earth and to subdue it. He told Adam and Eve. Reflecting his image in creative labor. To keep a garden. Didn't, the garden was going to produce food anyways. It's not like you had to uh, do something with it in order to make it produce food. It's a perfect environment. So what is it he's going to do with keeping the garden? I believe his task was in order to tend it, to beautify it, to take what was wild and available to you and then create beauty from it. And some of you who are gardeners, you're, you're wonderful at what you're able to do with flowers and shrubs and those kinds of things. But it was a creative labor that he was given to do. And the other thing is loving relationships because... First creating Adam, God said it's not good that he'd be alone. And so he brought Eve, who would be a helper suitable for him. All parts of what it meant to be created in God's image. As he declared over both of them, male and female created he them in his image. It was absolutely wonderful. It was great. There was, there, it, was, it was like being a snake in the cage, right? It's just like, hey, everything is good. Everything is good here. But as you know, it all got broken. It all got broken. And here's what's happened. Dominion has become oppression. Rather than dominion over the earth, We've turned to oppressing our fellow man. This too shows up early in life. I don't like to brag about it much, but it's true. I played for the twins one year. No, we'll give autographs later. Maybe not after you hear the story, but... 
You see, I spent one year in T-ball. And before you get to Little League, there was this thing called intermediates. Dude, and I was in intermediates. And at the South Park Summer Rec program, where I would go for all my summer fun at the park, I can recall them pulling out of the boxes as they formed our teams and pulling out of the boxes and everybody got a hat that was the color for their team. Sweet, man. Sweet. It was a wonderful gold that matched perfectly the Packers green and gold, which I have no idea why they gave somebody named after a Minnesota team got a Green Bay Packers color on their hat. But hey, it was my gold hat. And it said, I was on the Twins. About four, five, six games into the summer, I don't know how far along we were. It was becoming evident, Bobby Dahl, that we were not the winning team. It's not like, you know, you were our coach bringing us to ever greater heights that one day we'd be in a Hall of Fame like you. That wasn't happening, Bob, okay? And I don't recall whether we hadn't won a game or we'd only won one game. I don't recall what it was, but here's what I do remember. I do remember another little boy who, I can't recall if I knew him or not, but he saw me wearing my twins hat at the park. And he laughed at me because we were so bad. Never wore the hat again. See, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't enough that we, hey, you know, we, we kind of got the lower part in the standings, and it's like, well, sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. Some teams are better than others. No, it was, I have to humiliate you. I have to humiliate you because I'm on a team that's better than yours. Even at that young age, he was picking up on how to do that. Now, that makes me sound like a victim, Trust me, I turned the tables years later with a cue stick. That's how it works. Till God got hold of me and said, you don't treat people that way anymore. Dominion has become oppression. Labor has become drudgery. You realize most of humanity that has lived has had a subsistence level existence. Work was hard. We are so, so used to, in our day and age, and in our, in our country, we are so used to so many labor-saving devices, we've kind of lost track of how hard it has been for most all of humanity, and I have no way of knowing for sure what the number would be, but I'd put it well into the high 90% of all men and women who have ever lived, lived very hard lives. Because that broke at the fall. The garden was no longer going to put forth food. That Your goal is creative labor now to beautify the garden. No, now your goal is to, by the sweat of your brow, eke out a living from the dust. And loving relationships have become battlegrounds. 
divorce, estrangements within families, and even the heartbreak among believers, friends, it's painful. It's painful. And loving relationships are not the norm per se. We seek God because He has created us for a purpose, yet that purpose has been shattered. So knowing that, we seek God because He recreated us for His purpose. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 7 to 12. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 12. Notice what Paul writes, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in Him. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will that He who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. And Paul is declaring for us that in the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ, God is working out a purpose. And that, re that purpose includes our being recreated. You know that scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. At the very heart of the gospel is this idea that we all need to be born again. That, that, we're, that we're broken and something needs to be repaired. And in the gospel, that is done. And that's where that work happens. And so God has purposed that in Jesus Christ, this will happen. And he's made it clear that the time will come. When he has completed this task, he's drawing all together, all of us together. Not only those of us who sit here now in 2020. And we sit here and, and we can proclaim as we have together the worship for God because he's redeemed us in Jesus Christ. Do you understand? He's going to bring it all together. So that the saints from 1820 and 1420 and 1020 and 1020 BC and 1420 BC, it's all going to be brought together because he's working according to a purpose that he has. How magnificent is that? And all the brokenness will be made whole for those who are willing to let God make it whole. For those of us willing to receive what He has for us. We seek God because He recreated us for His purpose and we can know as we live in this broken world, something good is being worked out for God's glory and on our behalf. Third, we seek God because He has assured us of His purpose. And this is what keeps us from despair, friends. This is what keeps us from just throwing in the towel and saying it isn't worth it. 
in, the, in uh, Ecclesiastes, we continued on from our scripture reading. Where earlier we read, we read from Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8. I want to pick it up in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 9. And as we pick that up, we read this. Just following upon all those things, you know there's a time for every purpose. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I've seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Here's what we know. God has a purpose, not only in, for us being here today, because you've been appointed to be here, but in this past week and in the coming week, God has a purpose for the things that are happening in each of our lives. And he will make that purpose beautiful. He will work out a good end to that. That's his assurance that nothing is happening in or to the lives of his children that isn't within his ultimate purposes. Now here's where the trouble comes in. Here's where it gets difficult for us. Can we be honest with it? Here's, here's where it is. But it, it tells us this. So for me, at least, it makes it okay. It says he's put eternity in their hearts. That's the question of purpose. The question of why. The question of what is this all about? That's here. We can't escape it. Except no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. We live at this point in time. And we ask questions about, the, about all that is going on and things beyond us and how this relates to us. And God hasn't chosen to answer that for us yet. And so we're left with the questions. The prodding inside of us is real. And the questions aren't, aren't answered yet, but they will be answered one day. And so in light of that, what do we do? We take today and we do those things that we're to do today. We take that good work that is ours today to do that is from the hand of God and then we enjoy the fruit of that labor. Every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. To align ourselves with the purposes of God for our lives and then just enjoy the fruit that comes. I got two tasks completed this week, two huge tasks as far as I'm concerned. One of them was on my, uh, in my yard, on my garage. That was like, oh, it was so good to get that done. And the other one was right here. And they both took a couple of days to get done. But you know, it felt so good when they were done, right? And come Friday night, I could just enjoy sitting and not having these two tasks weighing on my mind. It was great. Right? I could be satisfied in that. Friends, 
we're appointed for this time. Your life is here now because God has appointed your life to exist right now so we can rest and rejoice in Him because He assures us of His purpose. So let's wrap this up. There's a lot we're not going to figure out here. Scripture's pretty clear about that. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, We see now in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. We don't have all the answers. But one day it will make sense. And the writer to, uh, or, or excuse me, Solomon, in writing the book of Ecclesiastes, it's the last reference we'll, we'll go to in Ecclesiastes 12, uh, verse 13 and 14. We read this, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep His commandments. See, that means bringing our purposes in alignment with His purposes. Fear God. Keep His commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. In order to understand this question of purpose, we have to understand that God's purposes are ultimate. And yes, He has a purpose. And yes, we have the privilege of aligning ourselves with his purposes. We seek God because he alone can make sense of the things that we know are real. Everybody lives. Everybody lives as if truth, where we started, morality and purpose are real things and that they really matter. We all live this way. Not one of us escapes this. We cannot deny them. When we're wounded by a lie, it bugs us. When a friend or a boss lies to get us to do something they want us to do, that goes deep. Why? Why don't we just blow it off? We can't deny them when there is a moral offense to which we are exposed. And one of the things that I, that I paid attention to, because it's right where my kids live in Florida, but an elderly couple was eating outside in a restaurant. And the peaceful protesters came, started taking food and drink off their table, sitting down at their table, totally disrupted them. No, that's, that was, <laughs> that's offensive, right? Caught my attention. I was angered by it. Or if there's a diminishment of purpose... We notice it. I encourage you, parents. I encourage you. There's a great old movie you need to watch. With your kids. Christmas will be here before we know it. You watch this movie with your kids, with your spouse. If your kids aren't old enough quite to get it yet. But it's a great movie. Because it was made in a time in America when we still acknowledged God in our national conscience. And He was not anathema to us. And it was okay. It was just part of our culture. This great movie is called It's a Wonderful Life. You've got to watch it every Christmas. Two characters, George Bailey and Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter, now young people, this is not Harry Potter's dad. We get that clear. Had nothing to do with Harry Potter's dad. But Mr. Potter is the wealthiest man in town and he is an evil, selfish skinflint. He just wants the whole town under his control. 
And George Bailey is a guy barely eking out a living. And one of the things that keeps him from ever making any real profit is because he's always doing kind things for other people. And there comes a point within his business operation, he comes up $8,000 short. And actually, Mr. Potter scams him out of his own $8,000. He doesn't even know that Mr. Potter has his $8,000 in his possession. But the only person he can figure in town who has that much money, he goes to Mr. Potter for a loan who just laughs him out of his office. And he says to him, you're worth more dead than alive because he had this little life insurance policy. You see, everything that he has lived for, he's of the belief when he walks out of there, everything he has lived for appears to have amounted to nothing. And he was completely diminished as a man. And was moving towards taking his own life. But God stepped in. It's a great story. You need to watch it. But you see, the reason the guy told the story is because he knows this is what man is like. Man, so often he's beat down. He gets discouraged. God is the only one able to put it all back together, friends. God is the only one able to put it all back together. He desires to do that in each of our lives if we are willing to let him make it whole again. I'm going to close with this because I said at the outset, part of the reason for this series is to prepare us to minister to people God's going to bring to us when people feel free to go out again. I want to finish with this thought. Some people are ensnared by counterfeit perspectives. We've been talking about truth, morality, and today purpose. I'd like you just just to identify quickly what some of those counterfeits are. One, that science is the God that leads to all truth. You've heard me talk about science time and time again. Because right now, that's what we're going to be battling, and that's what our young people are battling. And that's why I keep bringing it up. I have a degree in science. I love science. I read science articles. But I know science is not the God that leads to all truth. Science cannot address these three issues. It has no place to put them because it's not designed to do so, and yet they reside in us. So that's number one. That's one counterfeit. The other counterfeit is that man decides what is good and evil. Man makes his decision on what is good and evil. He's the one who defines it. I want to take you back to the couple having a meal outside in St. Petersburg. Right? Now that was either a just thing for for these people to come and disrupt them and take their food and take their drinks and destroy the time that they wanted to have just peacefully, this couple, to have a nice time together. Some people will see the disruption as just. Why, those old white people? This should happen to them. They should pay. Some people see that as just. 
Others will look at it and go, why, why should they be? Why should their time at the table when they're just trying to enjoy a meal? What have they done? I'm willing to bet. I have no way of knowing, but I'm willing to bet. Nobody in their family ever owned slaves. I'm willing to bet that when they saw people of different pigmentations, they were kind to them. And so were the people of different pigmentations kind back. But everybody has an opinion, you see, because everybody's moral sensitivities are stirred. Some think they got what they deserved because they're white, and some people thought that's terrible to do that to that old couple. Who's right? Who is right? How do you define that? See, it only makes sense if God weighs in on it. Because what is morally right and wrong is what's in alignment with his nature. So think about that. But we live in a culture now that is going to say, hey, we decide what's right and wrong, not God. We decide it. That doesn't go well. Scripture gives us the history of that. It doesn't go well when man abandons the things of God and every man does what is right in his own eyes. Thirdly, the other deception that is out there is that a man's purpose for his own life is all that matters. And I know I've referenced this at times in the past. You hear people speaking now about, I've got my truth, my truth. That's ridiculous. Truth is truth. You may have your experience, and you may have your interpretation of your experience, but truth is not something that you own. Truth is something that is. It's not personal to you. But we have begun, uh, we have, we have begun to say that um, my purpose for my life is all I am answer for, uh, that I have to answer for. And guess what? God clearly says, he will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And that's a deception that people are buying into. It's a counterfeit that ensnares them. So I leave you with this final scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. I'll let it just stand on its own. As, uh, as the worship team, if you'll come up while we, while we just look at this last verse, I'll leave you with this final scripture. And a servant of the Lord, think of this in terms of people who will come to us. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Do you see that? There are people who've been ensnared and they have long lost this, this idea that our desires and purposes and wills are to come in alignment with God's holy purpose and will. They went, no, now they align themselves with the evil one. And they don't even realize what they've done. They are ensnared. They have been trapped. And may God give us the grace that when people such as this who are they're confused and they're trying to figure out life, that we will be that servant of the Lord. We don't quarrel. We're gentle, teaching, patient, and humble. 
and how we receive them so that God could use us to bring his truth to help unsnare them.